Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader, whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. ESG Energized audience, we have a special guest today, Sujata Kumar, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Decider. I am really pleased to have her on this show because we are going to have a very executive business discussion here. Sujata is a thought leader in the world of energy transition, and she has decades of experience that she has brought together to form Decider and be able to help us through these this difficult transition. So Sujata, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Delphina. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on your show. So let's start right into this. Let's let's have you get that knowledge out of your head and bring it on. <laughs> bring it on to to my to me and to my audience. In the context of the energy transition, why is the current business landscape so challenging? Let's just get right into it. Why is this so challenging? Well, you know, it's it's a very complex um, environment that we have to get to. If you think about where we are today, it's 100 years in making, 100 plus years in making. Um, you know, the infrastructure, the way we do business, uh, the way we produce energy, everything has been structured around for 100 plus years. And now we have to kind of just say, oh, we have to unravel it, create a new normal. And um, this is not this is not easy. So we first have to recognize that this is not easy. And um, we have to think of it as a transition, uh, not we are going to do fossil fuels today and tomorrow we are going to go into complete renewable energy. It, you know, that transition is going to take time, not only because creating those alternate energy is difficult, because the infrastructure to get to that alternate energy is also ha also has to keep pace with this. Second, um, the knowledge is nascent. Uh, you know, we have built knowledge over what we've done um, over 100 plus years. And so there's education and universities that train you. Um, you know, there is knowledge, there's experience of people who have done it so many times before. Well, this is this is a new way of doing it. Um, the the knowledge has to catch up and uh, the markets have to catch up. Don't forget. You know, we can produce hydrogen and ammonia, um, but we don't have the market for the prices that it's going to be produced at. Um, and then there are constantly new, newly evolving energy sources that we have to get our heads wrapped around, understand, uh, you know, how we're going to use it, how it's going to get into market, uh, how is it going to be applied to our business? And there's no data around it. Data is completely, you know, uh, nascent as well. Um, if all of these things are not enough, you have the regulatory, mar um, you know, the regulatory part of it constantly changing, and um, the market dynamics. Uh, you know, the cost of capital is high, and the capital markets are constantly shifting. Um, so that is the complexity of what we are dealing with, and companies are, you know. It's, it's a fear of the unknown. 
you you don't know what you're getting into. And that is really the complexity of the landscape for getting into energy transition. I'm going to add one additional complexity that I know you know, but that always always hits me in the face. And that is the geographical components of this, the global implications of of what we're doing. And we've talked about this on other shows that we may have the means to get after the transition in first world nations, but that it is not that simple in third world nations. But this is not a first world nation problem. This is a global problem, right? Uh, You make a wonderful point. You can shift problems, right? So there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of companies, they, you know, if it, it, in order to reduce CO2 in the US, they might shift their business somewhere else. Exactly. And CO2 goes to the atmosphere. It's a global thing, right? <laughs> uh, whether you're sending it from the US or from China or from uh, India or Africa. And so this is this is the nature. This is really how we need to all work together to make this happen. I also yeah. think, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'll, I'll just add to it. The One of the things that companies grapple with is they have to run their existing business and bring this business in parallel, right? So it's not like I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to bring this up. I, I have to do everything at the same time and keep my lights on and, you know, keep my uh, shareholders happy. Uh, so all of this has to happen at the same time. That's also an additional dimension to the problem. So I think that maybe a challenge that we're facing as well in attacking this complexity, uh, first, let me say one one injected comment here is that we have tremendous, tremendous knowledge in the energy industry. And we've talked about this a lot on this show, that the the brains, the mindset, the, the experience that we need to actually solve these problems exist. But would you agree or disagree that we're actually trying to face these challenges and solve some of these problems with outdated approaches? I mean, is there a better way to do things? Yeah, um, you know, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, yes, we have a lot of talent and expertise in the energy industry. Uh, no, no matter which spectrum of the energy industry, you have a lot of talent and knowledge. Um, but you're going to have to connect these pieces in different ways. Um, it, it's not, you know, so when you think about oil and gas exploration, people know, okay, here is it. I want to go and um, do exploration in this particular area. I know A, B, C, D, how to do this. I, I am going to use software that exists for so many years that can tell me how I go and do that exploration. And um, voila, you're going to make that decision as to whether you're going to go deep into it or you don't find anything and you're done. And you have past history of metrics you can compare it to. Well, today, if you think about it, think of all the, think of the simplest thing that exists, that's been in existing, uh, in existence for um, 10 plus years, uh, wind and solar energy that can be harnessed to you know, produced uh, uh, electricity. Now, if you think about it, you would think, oh my God, like we know this, we got this. There are companies that have been doing it forever. And what you find is even this, even for this, 
the, the standardized metrics don't exist. Um, it's very hard to for companies to compare what happens if I produce solar in this region versus that region or wind and wind energy in this region versus that region? What is my levelized cost? How, mu how much is my energy yield in all of this? How can I provide uh, what kind of reliable power can I produce per hour um, to keep the lights on? Right. So these kind of common metrics are still emerging and this is you know and so what do people do um they still use outdated kind of uh, environments uh they use excel spreadsheets i don't know how else to say this right they use excel uh, spreadsheets to kind of create these metrics um and 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 kind of go in with this mindset of i'm going to invest in it and make it work well the problem with these outdated approaches is the fact that one of the you know uh, key aspects of renewable energy as we all know is intermittency that's one constraint that we have to face the other constraint that you know companies who are embarking on it i mean there are large energy companies that have embarked into renewables and the biggest constraint they face is uh, the constraint on the on the grid you can produce as much renewable energy as you want, but the grid can only take so much. So, you know, when we have become a decentralized environment where you can produce energy, you can be an energy producer and also an energy consumer, this these dynamics shift. The grid has to be able to be upgraded to do all of this. There are grid constraints. There are intermittency constraints that you have to solve for. And you have to think about all of this in a very um, kind of connected environment. And if you don't think about it, then you are just throwing money into something where the assets are not going to be utilized. Your electron that you produce have no way to go to the grid or it's not going to get to the, the industry or the household that you're trying to power. And this is how a lot of the analysis is being done today in a very um, kind of uh, rough mindset. There is no connected environment in which to do this, to have, think of, think of it this way. You don't build a house without having a full blueprint of it. So if yeah. you're doing that yeah. for a house, can you think of the billions you're spending into it and you would need to have the complete blueprint before saying, I'm going to put a, you know, a, a hundred megawatt, uh, wind farm or solar farm. Don't you want to have a complete blueprint so you know exactly what you're getting? That mindset still doesn't exist. Yeah, we I agree with that 100%. As, as you remember, we kind of talked about that, having a proper roadmap for the transition. I mean, you've used the word transition several times now to say that it's not just, oh, fancy words, energy transition, that there's actually a proper uh, roadmap, blueprint, like you said, that you have to construct it you're you're uncovering so many different challenges and issues that we have especially around having information and data so if i if i go if i heard you correctly this is a multi-layered problem a multi-layered yeah. challenge and the first is the data itself and what data do we have and what are we collecting and do we have the systems 
in place that can collect the right data. So let's let's even figure out what the right data is, which continues to change because it's not just about creating an efficient efficient energy solution. It's also about making sure you have the information to answer to regulations, right? So there's multi-layers to that problem. And then once you have the, the information, if you have the tools, does that integrate with your current system? So there's that challenge. And then on top of it all, what, what's really hitting me, Sujatha, and I am hoping that this is where Decider comes in and you're going to talk about this, what, is that this is a call for not spreadsheets, but sophisticated <laughs> simulation where we are taking multi multiple factors, simulating the results, kind of like a Monte Carlo simulation, but you know, more crystal ball, more sophisticated, right? To be able to then say, if we have the information, we have the data, we can, we can agree on that. Then we can put that information into a simulation so that we can figure out what the optimal solution is and accounting for, again, also with the risks inside of it, right? Am, am I getting it right? Yeah, you, you took the words out of my mouth, right? Um, you know, so when we started, uh, you know, uh, my background is entirely on creating simulation. I come from the world of uh, process industries, right? So uh, no one builds a, a petrochemical plant or, uh, you know, without actually thinking about how the process works, doing dynamic simulation. So I come from that world. And when I got out of um, the last company I was at, which was Honeywell, uh, when I got out of it, you know, this was the thought process. How do you bring this, uh, not in, only on the process side, but also in the way we think about businesses, uh, when we think about investments, when we think about even at the higher level, not just at the plant level. And that's how really the idea of Decider came into play. And when I started looking into energy transition, um, you know, the problems are even more complex just because you don't have really the knowledge to um, even think about it without a software. You, you really need to connect these pieces together. So that's really how, um, you know, Decider came into, um, you know, it, it came to be built because we, uh, I took all my previous knowledge and I kind of applied it to energy transition at a level that is very relevant for the industry today. Um, so, uh, so the question, so if you think about uh, risks, um, we talked about all the challenges and all companies can do is for the fear of the unknown, kind of mitigate risks. How can I think about the problem set in its entirety so I can now mitigate risks? Um, because there are things within your control, things within without you know that's outside your control. Regulatory constraints, markets are all outside of your control. So how do you kind of mitigate the uh, the risk there? And things within your control, which is your constraints, your supply chain constraints, your um, you know uh, the uh, the how much you know uh, how you produce it, what are the efficiencies? These are all things that you can kind of think about it as I can have different ways to look at it and mitigate risks for those constraints. Um, so these are all, whether it's a risk within your control, risk outside of your control, they're all risks. So you now need to look at it holistically and say, okay, how am I going to largely mitigate risk? So what did we do? Um, we actually created a simulation platform 
where you can now think about risk and in, in different aspects of that process and try to do what if scenarios, look at um, if I did this, how does it affect energy yield? If I did this, how does it affect economics? What if I built this in this location versus that location? Does it mitigate my risk any bit? Um, does it affect my constraints? Um, and so you can now look at it without even, I mean, this is a blueprint where you can do what if scenarios and get that optimal blueprint that you can go and execute on. This is where technology is today from a software perspective. You can do all of this without investing a single dollar into that environment. And so that is the power to it. Uh, go ahead. Delphine. No, 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 no. Um, I, I didn't mean to, to interrupt. You're saying there's my, my brain is processing what you're saying and I'm, coming up with additional questions that I have and observations. Uh, risk is something, if we're talking about the, the energy industry, risk is something that we're very familiar with. And we're, we're also highly uh, sophisticated in approaching risk. But I think that what you're pointing out, and I can attest to this uh, because I have numerous friends that are risk officers or work in the risk space, that are within the energy industry. This is still, when it comes to the energy transition, this is still a challenge for them, not in their capability as risk officers, but in the information, the knowledge that they need to be able to make their, their more intelligent decisions. So it's just That's an observation. Correct. That is correct. Uh, you know, I, as I said before, I mean, we have, 100 years of experience, knowledge that's baked in. There's data, there's, uh, you know, there's knowledge and data both relevant over 100 years. And so when you go and, um, you know, go into exploration, which is really risky, you have all that information that you can make, you can take calculated risks. Um, when, you, when you come into energy transition, those two elements are not there. But yeah. what I'm going to tell you is the our approach has been Physics is physics, chemistry is chemi uh, chemistry. You can bake in those rules. So okay. that's the approach we took. Data, um, you know, I'd love to, I, I'd like to point out that our taxpayer money has been put to good use by the Department of Energy. You can get a lot of data points. All the data that we use is, you know, for the US environment, we take it from DOE, we take it from EIA, we take it from EPA. And, you know, there is a lot of research that's been put out by universities around the world. So we, there is access to a lot of data, a lot of information, but it's not in a very consumable form. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's the challenge uh, that companies are facing. I mean, there's no shortage of consulting organizations that are going to show up and say, I can help you. But it's really not that simple. The problem is quite daunting in all of the, the information sources that are available. Somebody has to be able to stand up and say, we're looking at it all. And we've actually pulled that all together in a manner that we can offer it up as consumable and usable in, in a simulation manner, in an optimization manager for organizations, right? 
Absolutely. Listen, um, I think uh, consultants have a, a big role to play here. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, what I'm going to say is, you know, consultants leave behind a lot of Excel spreadsheets because there is no other system in which to leave this information behind. Yep. So what we actually um, point out to companies is we are not saying don't use consultants. Actually, you might need consultants to interpret some of the um, the models that we lay out, the simulation that we lay out and, you know, and be a little bit more prescriptive to you. Um, but you have a system that's left behind that you can have as a ba baseline. You can keep tracking it uh, moving forward. You can just use that to, you know, you don't need to bring a consultant in to say, hey, I, I now have to do it in this other location. Can you help me? There is traceability, trackability, metrics that you can have, build that history of knowledge and uh, data. And don't, don't leave that in Excel spreadsheets. Just bring it together, use your consultants, but use them <laughs> in the right way. And the other thing that we tell, um, you know, companies is what we have created by embedding rules is we have created a digital subject matter expert into our, uh, into decider. So think of having somebody 25, uh, 24 seven telling you, you can ask them, hey, what if I did this? And you get an answer, hey, well, if you do this, your economics changes by this. So, you know, you might think about it differently. Oh, you would really reduce your energy yield if you did this, but you can probably compensate it by doing this, this, and this. Just imagine having somebody who can, you know, a, you actually have different kinds of subject matter experts that exist within our software that can kind of guide you through this process. So that is the benefit of using uh, these kind of tools, right? Decider kind of tools is not only do you have these granular metrics and data that you're creating and you will keep forever and build that history, but you also have this virtual digital assistant that is able to kind of guide you through that process. And, you know, so we are actually democratizing knowledge within this so that big companies can afford to get SMEs and build departments of, you know, wind experts, solar experts, hydrogen experts, ammonia experts, but not all companies can do that. That's right. So big companies or small companies, how do we provide this knowledge so that you can use this 24 seven to answer your questions and guide your, you know, your up and coming uh, employees into this new world, right? You don't, you don't have the aging work, uh, you know, you have that aging workforce, the knowledge is nascent. So now you can bring your new group, new group of employees and train them and kind of make them use this tool, which is going to guide them and make them learn, uh, get more information. Yeah. I, I will give you a small example of how we, this is done. We actually got um, a junior uh, intern working with us when she came in. I mean, she's a computer engineering intern and she she knows nothing about energy transition. OK, but all I had her do was pick up data for me. OK, so she is just pulling data from different sources. And as she's pulling it, I'm actually telling her how we are going to use it in our models. You know, I spoke to her yesterday and I just tell her, 
you know, hey, I want information on this, this and this. And she goes, oh, I know exactly why you need it. I've read enough about it. I can come and pull that up for you. She's a she is a sophomore. Wow. Wow. So this is really, truly accelerating, accelerating the knowledge of people at multiple levels from the from starting interns all the way up to the executives that are making the decisions. Absolutely. So uh, the I'll, I'll take this point even a bit further. I was talking to a large, um, uh, you know, independent power producer uh, and we were talking about, uh, you know, actually thinking about hydrogen, ammonia, et cetera. And they looked at our models and they said, uh, oh, I, I love what you're doing, but I also need um, you know, the expertise to, uh, you know, can you just bring your expertise in as well? Because, <laughs> because it's, it's largely, they said, we, we know what you're doing. You built that expertise into your models, but train our people to also use these models. So spend some time with us. And yeah. so you see, this is really where the industry is going. So, um, I think consultants, the point I'm making is, Technology is needed, consulting is needed to bring this. And we as a technology company want to work with consulting companies to be able to bring this to companies, um, to industries, uh, all different kinds of industries that need to use this. So observation, you've mentioned working with and be able, being able to support companies that are committed to the energy transition, uh, different types of companies. You, you've mentioned as you were talking, uh, small companies, independent producers, uh, large companies. What strikes me is that people forget when you're talking about risk mitigation, when you're talking about making decisions as to where to put your projects, how to build your projects, when to build your projects, for large companies, the problem is even more complex because they are doing multiple things. It's not just going out and building one solar farm. You mentioned hydrogen, you mentioned wind, you mentioned solar. So the complexity for larger companies explodes when you're trying to create a portfolio of projects that you can efficient, efficiently and effectively deploy. Did I, am I getting that right? Am, is that hitting me correctly? Yes. Um, so, you know, if you think about where companies are right now, um, you know, many large companies or Fortune 100 companies have created science-based targets. They've created, you know, uh, where they want to go and, you know, where they want to end up in 2030 or 2050. They have those targets to reach and they're looking at, okay, what are my different ways that I'm going to kind of uh, address these. They look at, you know, there's a lot of technologies that kind of go in and say, this is how I'm going to abate your scope one emissions, right? Now, scope two and scope three are a little bit more complex because that is not within their control. Right. Um, so, so what do they have to do? They have to think about, okay, how am I going to now get different sources of energy? So where are we engaged in? We are engaged in uh, some of these scope two, scope three emissions, because in scope two, we are looking at, okay, what is the power mix that you need to bring in? Uh, 
And what is the carbon abatement if you do uh, one versus another? Uh, because this is a transition. You're still going to use natural gas, diesel. Uh, you're going to use a combination of uh, wind and solar, or you're going to use the grid, whatever the intensity of the grid is. You're going to kind of think of it as a... Um, uh, hodgepodge of power mix you're going to use. And all of this has a portfolio level carbon abatement metrics. So, you know, companies need to think about that and saying, okay, in year one, in transition to it, here's my carbon abatement. Year 10, how is that accelerating? How is mm -hmm. that power mix changing now to get me more of a carbon abatement to reach the goal? Um, that's just in one a facet of it, right? So if you think about large, uh, you know, uh, petrochemical companies that are looking at, okay, how am I going to uh, remove the carbon? Uh, you know, so that has an abatement metrics. How do you do that? So it's largely kind of thinking about, you know, smaller, low-hanging fruits and these large projects that have to be brought together. And that in totality gives you where you need to, what you need to achieve. But some of them are more expensive than the others, but how can you keep tracking towards it with some low hanging fruits? That's your portfolio that you need to build. And by doing some of the analysis and simulation and understanding how that can be brought together, we kind of help companies think about, okay, here, here is your economics, here's your carbon abatement. You can now structure it the way you want to structure it. I can see why this is so hard because you mention the low hanging fruit, right? But eventually you have to get to the things that what I call are must haves, right? Yes. Which are the more difficult, they're, they're high impact, but also very difficult to do, very costly. And I'm going to bring this back. What struck me as I was listening to you, what it brings me back to a comment that you made in the first minute of the show, and that was around markets and infrastructure. So the low-hanging fruit is stuff that you can do now, but you still have to build that portfolio based on where the infrastructure is going to be. And some of these companies are playing in the infrastructure place, and some of these companies are just kind of waiting to see you know, what's going to be put there. So it becomes a very complex, maybe even a scenario planning challenge, right? Yes, it is. I mean, think of the simpler one with, uh, you know, I won't even go into infrastructure pipelines, which are, you know, just as complex. Um, but think of the simpler one or, you know, not really simple, but it's, it's something that companies are grappling with now, which is, uh, you know, you go in, IRA says there's a lot of credit for doing uh, solar and wind and uh, hydrogen. So you get production credit, CapEx credit, everything. So it, we, we are constrained by infrastructure. So, uh, you know, one of the discussions I, you know, we actually had the opportunity to talk to the assistant uh, uh, secretary of treasury, um, you know, who was talking to us about IRA. And one of my comments back to him was, you can put all of this IRA into stuff, into all these energy sources, but without access to infrastructure, you really are going to uh, have assets that really is going to take a long time to get to fruition. Yeah. 
And so there are things that we are exploring. For example, in the UK, they realize they have they have to wait a year once they put up a wind or a solar farm to take it to the grid. Oh, and uh, and, and it's it, it's it's really a, a, a queuing mechanism there, right? Because everywhere, whether it's US or other countries, grid is a constraint. That's an infrastructure constraint we have. And so, what are they doing? They're thinking about how do I create microgrids. Right. So I can create this and supply it to, uh, you know, industries. And U.S. is also kind kind of getting there. They're also thinking about this microgrids for universities, microgrids for large residential communities. Um, and microgrids are also a way you can go and uh, kind of get to underserved communities, right? Um, you can go and make them... Uh, you know, greener, uh, greener just doesn't have to be for communities that can afford it. Um, so it can also be made uh, available for the underserved communities. And now cities and, uh, and, and different, uh, you know, local governments are trying to make this available. So the point is, as there are constraints, there are also answers to constraints. How do we go and research that? So one of the things we've done is actually created, okay, if you want to create a kind of micro grid kind of environment, how do we do it? So you can yeah. come and simulate that and understand economics and think about, okay, I can just put a small solar cell still full from the grid, but I still keep abating. So whether you are a commercial building or residential building, or you're creating a um, community somewhere, you can actually create this micro grid and be able to supply greener energy to the environment. So there are inherent constraints, but you know we need to think out of the box here. How do we make some of this available, even with all of these constraints? Because if we wait for infrastructure to catch up, it's going to, we're not gonna be able to hit 2020 or 20, even 2050. Great point, great point. So I'm gonna ask you, the big question, what's the call to action? What's the call to action for everyone and anyone, right? For governments, for companies, for individuals, what's the call? What do we have to do? Um, you know, so let's, let's take, uh, you know, I, I'm going to touch, uh, industries and companies and then go into governments. But, um, if you, if you take, in companies and industries. And if you think about, you know, largely our approach in the US, by talking to many, many, many companies, um, what I have, you know, they're all thinking about it. It's not that anybody is just twiddling their thumbs, right? Not thinking about it. They all yeah. have plans. But what happens is the unknown is really deterring them that, you know, companies are looking at the risk profile. And and complementary to that is the fact that the government, even with some of the IRA incentives that we put out, don't have uh, all the clarity on it. So without clarity, companies are not going to go in and make those investments that they need. And second, you have that stick, which is SEC. And so what are companies doing? They are navigating it through renewable energy credits, carbon credits, all of these things that they are trading. There's a full cottage industry that is built out. So to help companies navigate the stick that the SEC has put out, but there is no panacea. Yeah. If we want to affect um, 
carbon and get to climate impact, we need to do the hard things, but the government has a big role to play in it uh, because you know companies are struggling with the unknowns. For the companies, the call to action is don't tiptoe around it. You can't stay on the fringes. You need to jump in with both feet in, but understand risk. That's why using technologies, what we are putting out or other companies are putting out would be helpful in that transition journey. So you don't, you don't have to go and make that $100 million investment. You can look at building out you know, everything digitally and then thinking about what kind of investment you want to put in. Some of these things can actually happen now. And that is my kind of uh, call to action to companies. The governments have their role to play. They have to provide clarity. Um, and um, you know, if you look at uh, European countries, uh, they have a lot of local government subsidies that have been given. So you look at uh, Europe, they are a little bit further ahead. I mean, no one has achieved what they have to achieve. But in the U.S., largely, we are kind of, uh, you know, in the fringes, looking on and seeing how we really get to where we need to get to. So the call to action is let's do something. We, you know, there are all mechanisms, all tools in place to engage and kind of walk you through that journey. We would actually love to work with companies to help them think through how they're going to invest in, how they plan and operate for a low carbon future. I think that that is a perfect way to end this discussion because I have seen it. I have absolutely seen that unwillingness to move forward or not an unwillingness. It's more of a desperation to want to move forward but not having clarity in what is coming. So people are, people are afraid. And I like the idea of ending on the note that uh, we can't just sit around and twiddle our thumbs. We can't just hope and wait. We do have to move forward. And fortunately, there's companies like yours, Decider, uh, and I'm actually going to put a, a link to your company in the notes. So people listening to this, Decider is spelled D as in Delphina, <laughs> S is in <laughs> Sujata. <laughs> there you go. I do <laughs> So D S I D E R, and it sounds like we're saying decider, like you're deciding something. But I think that that's exactly why you named the company decider. Exactly, it's about informed decision. This <laughs> and go forward with it. Exactly. So I, I'm going to put a link to the to the website in the notes. I'm sure you're going to get bombarded with questions after this show, Sujata, because you are are a wealth of knowledge. And I always love having thought leaders on this show and people that are really helping us move forward in the energy transition. So once again, thank you so much for joining ESG Energized. Thank you so much for having me, Delphina. It's always a pleasure talking to you and keep doing that, you know, that evangelism that is much needed (laughs) in the industry. Thank you. Okay. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.